Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The Concert of Colors is underway, an annual celebration of the music we create and celebrate here in Detroit. And we'll be joined by Ismail Ahmed, the concert's founder and organizer, as well as Don Was, the president of Blue Note Records, who's a fixture at the concert. Then we're going to talk about a Bangladeshi festival in Warren that's a marker of the way the Asian American community is growing and changing here in Metro Detroit. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. I don't know if you know this or not, but Detroit, this city, this is a music town all year, every year. From the music of Motown to Detroit Rock City. From the angelic voices of gospel to the birth of techno, the music that comes from and drives Detroit also helps drive the music we hear all around the world. But one of the things that I love about this city is that there are sometimes, some days, when our love and devotion to our music sparkles just a little more brightly. One of those times is in late summer, when we have a tradition that helps us explore music from all over the world, live and in person, without the need to even buy a plane ticket. The Concert of Colors is back in full swing for the 2023 season. Founded by WDET's own Ismail Ahmed, host of This Island Earth, heard Saturday nights at 6 p.m. on these airwaves, The festival has put a spotlight on Detroit's really diverse cultural communities over three decades. It is, and always has been, free to attend. And there are a really dizzying array of foods, dancing, live music performances that all get started this weekend and will continue through the weekend. To help us learn more about this year's event and how you can get involved, how you can celebrate with everybody else, we're joined by two great guests at the heart of the festivities. Ismail Ahmed is, as I said, the host of This Island Earth, heard every Saturday from 6 to 8 p.m. here on WDET. He is the founder of the Concert of Colors. Ismail, welcome back to the studio. It's good to be here with you, Stephen. Yes, it is. It's always great to have you here. And in a little bit, we're going to be joined by Don Was, who is the president of Blue Note Records, a six-time Grammy Award winner and host of the Don Was Motor City Playlist, which is heard every Friday night at 10 right here on 101.9 WDET. He is performing at this year's event as part of the Don Was All-Star Review, a tribute to Detroit jazz giants. I'm sure Don is off making some music somewhere, and uh, when he's done, he will join us uh, for for the show. But Ismail, let's get started talking about uh, the Concert of Colors underway, started on Wednesday, goes through the weekend. What year is this of the Concert of Colors? This is year 31. 31, my 31 goodness. years. And one of the things I want to say is that You know, people who do things like this get a lot of credit, but this is the work of literally, over those years, thousands of people. Lots of organizations, especially the uh, in the communities of color here in Detroit, Mm -hmm. lots of great artists, Detroit artists, artists from all over the world. It's a collective thing. It, I mean, it is, as I said, a pretty dizzying array of all of these all of these things. Tell me how you came up with the idea to do this, and then how you pulled it off. I mean, this is a very 
complex, wide ranging event, uh, that, that every year I see it, I'm like, how is he even doing this? Well, how we are doing how this. We, that's right. Is, As all great things, it's more than one person. <laughs> is, uh, has a long story. I'll try and make it as short as possible. Uh, I had been involved in concerts for causes going all the way back to the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, particularly something called Rock Against Racism, which used to go into neighborhoods uh-huh. and organize against the Klan and the Nazis through music. We would win over young people where they were organizing uh, by bringing mainly groups of uh, color, you know, from here in the city mm-hmm. and and just making things happen that way. And that was done by, you know, several people who came together. It was actually half black and half white uh, way back when. And then, uh, because at that time I was the director of Access, the Arab Community Center for mm-hmm. Economic and Social Services, which is the biggest Arab American nonprofit in the country now, um, I got asked to be on the board of New Detroit, which is a racial justice organization Mm -hmm. uh, that goes back to the rebellion. And uh, at that time, they were black and white, and the city was becoming all kinds of things. The region was becoming all kinds of things. And so they wanted to bring people together, and they tried to figure out how. And I got tapped to help do that. (laughs) And I said, well, art, music, these communities have powerful cultures. Let's work on bringing t- people together around that. So we created an organization called the Cultural Exchange Committee, which had 60 organizations, mostly organizations of color, but others. It became the city's ethnic organization, basically. And uh, we did things in neighborhoods, and they were blow away successful. Mm. Um, and so... Mayor Young, uh, through a couple of representatives, came to us and asked us, uh, would we like to use Shane Park? And we said, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So we did a small event, 10,000 people, (laughs) the very first one. Uh, And it was a performance by each of the communities of color. So there were five performances. You know, we'd pick a sub-community and they would perform. And uh, within 10 years, a hundred thousand people were coming. Wow. wow! And we got money from every which way: foundations, corporations, individuals, and we were on our way. I mean, we had everybody from uh, 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 Fela Kuti to um, Ray Charles, yeah. basically, yeah. and lots and lots of Detroit groups. Yeah. And so, it's morphed many, many times. <laughs> it's Home has been in different places. I won't go through all of them. And now we have restructured and reorganized the Cultural Exchange Committee. Last meeting were 40 organizations, everyone from the Urban League to the uh, to Asian Americans for Justice. Uh, that was organized by Roy Frage. Uh, and in addition, we have partners Throughout Midtown, Midtown Inc. has helped us a lot with that. So we have like multiple venues and multiple partners, all who throw in something, all who help to make it happen and multiply the resources to get it done. Yeah. And so it's just uh, been amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah, that's such a great story and it's such a great origin for for all of this. And 31 years later, we have what what's going on right now here in Detroit. Uh, I, I want to bring somebody else into the conversation here. Don was is with us. He is the president of Blue Note Records, a six-time Grammy Award winner, and host of the Don Was Motor City playlist, which you hear every Friday night at ten, right here on one hundred one nine WDET. Don, great to have you here. Good to see you, Stephen. How yeah, are you, man? It's great to have you. Um, so let's talk about your involvement with Concert of Colors. You've been a consistent fixture at these events for a really long time. Tell us why it's important for you to, to be part of this. Oh, man. I, I, the, the, my first exposure to it was as a performer. I was playing with the, the great Sheb Khaled from uh, Algeria one year. Hmm. And uh, I just thought it was 
the most beautiful event I, I'd been to. I, I love the fact that whatever differences people have, that, that they come together over music like that. And it was, it was just a wonderful afternoon in Shane Park. And I, I met Ish that day, and uh, we hit it off and, and just decided that we should include a regular segment that featured the indigenous music of Detroit, as, as well as uh, the music from all over the world. And so we've been doing that now. How long is like is this the sixteenth, seventeenth year? Yeah, yeah, something wow. like that. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, uh, it, I mean, you you experience all kinds of things in music, and of course, your career takes you to all kinds of places. Talk about how unusual the concert of colors is, though, in 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 your experience, Don. I actually think there's nothing like it in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a myriad of reasons. First of all, because it's a free festival. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yep, do we still have Don? I think maybe we lost Don again. We'll get him back. <laughs> he was about to tell us something really great. Uh, uh, Ismail, uh, let, let, let's talk a little more about this year's concert, what's going on, your favorite parts of the Concert of Colors. Oh, there's so many things I can't have a favorite. Uh, but uh, what I'd like to do maybe is uh, take a look at some of the things that people don't know about. Uh, obviously, we have uh, Julian Marley, one of the Marley boys mm-hmm. uh, come in and he's going to knock things out. And uh, from Cambodia, we've got Dengue Fever. Actually, they're from the West Coast. They do 60s and 70s Cambodian rock. Uh, we've got a group that uh, performs in wrestler masks from Mexico um, uh, called Echno. It's a longer name, but that's what we call them for short. Mm-hmm. There are... Uh, and then there's some highlight stuff like tonight, and I think it's almost sold out. Not that it costs anything, but <laughs> people have already gotten tickets for Black Women Rock. That's Jessica Caremore. Yeah, she is going to do the biggest version of this she's ever done, and she is bringing women in from all all over the country, African American instrumentalists and singers. It's it's all women. Yeah, uh, I think that's going to be knockout. Uh, obviously, the Don was review. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, jazz review. I think it's time we honored those great jazz giants of Detroit. I'd also point out the U of M uh, Detroit stage, which is all local talent, great bands, Molly Wop, uh, uh, a band I love. Yeah, they're kind of Malik Yakini, my friend yeah. Malik Yakini's band. Malik yeah. and. Uh, you know, a whole bunch of other great artists and many other performers on that stage. A band no one has ever heard of uh, called Terrakist, who are a band out of Mali that play that wild desert guitar stuff uh, <laughs> that Tenerowin is so famous for. Um, you know, it's just Kelvin Cook. A lot of people don't know about him. He is the father of sacred steel. Uh, This is where church meets, I don't know, gospel, rock, the blues. Uh, It is stand-up, dance-out music, if there ever was one. A band uh, i just gotten familiar with, which is headed by the head of the uh, the chair of the Michigan Council for the Arts, uh, and uh, Ethan Daniel Davidson, uh, who uh, is a fixture in Detroit uh, called Infinite River uh, will be performing. Uh, it's a whole different thing. It's an experimental thing. You know, there's uh, just so much going on. Uh, but these are ones that people may not be focused on. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you may want to check all of these <laughs> bands out in particular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we do have Don Was back with us. Uh, Don, before we lost you, you were talking about yes, how sir. unusual Concert of Colors is. Okay, so I'm not sure what the last thing you heard was. I, I said it's <laughs> unusual because it's free. There's yeah. nothing like it in the <laughs> right, world. Like, right. <laughs> but also, it, 
I thought it, I think it really reflects the cultural makeup of the city, which is unique in the world, and that people came from all over the all over the planet to be here and work in the auto factories, and you know post World War II, and they brought their cultures with them, and we're all exposed to all this great great music, great food, great everything all the time, and it creates a really unique blend that I, I think has really exemplified. Uh, in the, the schedule ish puts together every year. Yeah. So tell us about the uh, Don Was All Star Review this year, a tribute to Detroit jazz giants. That's a, a really great, really great idea. Well, I'll tell you, man, you know, the, uh, but when I got the job at Blue Note Records and started going through the catalog thoroughly, the inordinate number of musicians who come from Detroit is just staggering that it, there's no city that's even a close second from you know the jones brothers thad elvin and hank to donald bird and joe henderson and milt jackson and kenny burrell it, it's a really long list i could i could go on for quite a while but it's really nice i think to uh, pay tribute to the to the jazz legacy to all the great musicians who came from here and also to uh, refocus attention on them and uh, and also on the new players who are here so marion hayden the uh mm-hmm. the godmother bassist. of detroit jazz great yeah. brilliant bassist yeah she curated this uh, this program and she put together a great house band with vincent chandler and uh, rafael lefar dave mcmurray ralph jones uh, jarabu shaheed a bunch of great musicians and and we're gonna uh you know do special tributes to donald bird and yusuf latif and joe henderson and it's gonna be a, a really cool show yeah yeah so don i'm gonna ask you to tell us about some of your favorite memories of the concert of college like i said you have been a fixture in this concert for a really long time. What stands out for you over the last 16 to 31 years, I guess? Well, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Sounds like he lost it again. Yeah, no, he's there. But, uh, okay, but right. I, I, I can tell you, I, 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 can you hear me now? Yeah, am, no, am no go ahead. Yep. Am I there? Yep. Oh, oh good, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I, I remember getting very emotional uh, playing dancing in the streets with martha and the vandellas oh, wow oh my goodness <laughs> that I, I, I couldn't believe i was up on the stage of orchestra hall doing that and wow. playing james jamerson's bass line and uh it, it i got pretty choked up doing that that that's probably a, that's certainly yeah. one of the highlights that's such a that's such a great detroit moment too don was and and martha uh, Ish, uh, tell us about what uh, it means to be back in full force for this. Uh, the, the pandemic was a real disruptor for Concert of Colors. Uh, yeah, one year we were completely virtual, yeah. and we learned a lot from that. Uh, we always will be partially virtual. WDET will be broadcasting the Concert of Colors uh, the following Sunday after we're done, and then the following Sunday after that for for five hours uh, both weekends. Um, and we work a lot also with WTVS. Uh, la- uh, way back when we couldn't do anything live, we had almost 300,000 people watch and listen. My goodness. Wow. Uh, because it was on television, it was on the radio. Uh, I think there were people from 40 states, 20 countries. <laughs> And, of course, many, many, many Detroiters. Uh, So we learned a lot from it, and the pandemic was bad, but it was also an educator for us. Uh, Now we're back fully live and partially virtual. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're really looking forward to it. This is really – we were live last year, but people were still hiding from the – you know, from the – from the pandemic, uh, this year we're hoping uh, to do uh, really well in terms of turnout and uh, make ourselves available to everyone. We're in 12 venues. Mm. Let me just shout out a few. Yeah, The Detroit Symphony tonight will have music. The Arab National Orchestra will be performing there. The DIA will have stuff today. Uh, a black women, I'm sorry, uh, Sisters of Betty, b- powered by Black Women Rock. 
uh, tomorrow the Charles Wright Museum and the Detroit Historical Museum will have outdoor stages and and uh, the Historical Museum will have three stages, one indoor and two outdoors. Uh, probably there will be 20 performances. At the right, we're gonna have a African circus, uh, musicians, acrobats, uh, and uh, dancers open things up at four o'clock. And then, uh, then uh, earlier, the Historical Museum will open up and they will be featuring lots of kind of music, but they will fo- be focused on Native American music. Mm. There'll be a powwow, Robert Maribel, one of the great uh, Native American stars will be coming to town. Uh, they have forums all over the city. Uh, the Greek Museum, Hellenic Museum has stuff going on. The Scarab Club has stuff going on. Uh, the Car Center has stuff going on. Again, U of M is having a forum on hip hop. Mm-hmm. Uh, just let me tell people the way to get all this knowledge. And the way to do that is go to concertofcolors.com. It's one word concertofcolors.com. A third time, concertofcolors.com. You can get all of the information about everything there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, Ismail Ahmed, uh, always great to have you in studio. And of course, always great to have you here talking about the Concert of Colors. Also remember, you can hear Ismail on Saturdays from 6 to 8 p.m. on WDET, This Island Earth. Uh, thanks for being here, Ismail. Thank you. And Don Was, president of Blue Note Records, six-time Grammy Award winner and host of the Don Was Motor City Playlist Heard every Friday night at 10 here on WDET. Don, it's always great to have you here as well. And we will see you on Sunday for the All-Star Review. See you there, man. Thank you very much, Steve. Okay, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about another upcoming event, the Bangladeshi American Festival in Warren on the 22nd and 23rd. Also about the significance of the Asian American communities here in Detroit, how they are growing and changing. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET brings you news about your neighborhood. WDET plays music from the Motor City. WDET amplifies the voices in our community. WDET is your public radio station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. Who is labeled Asian American in this country? We often simplify this really diverse group into one physical appearance, one culture, or one economic status. But that's really misleading. Asian Americans originate from more than 50 countries. And many more ethnicities, whether you're Korean, Sri Lankan, Kazakh, or Indonesian in the United States, you get defined with this single label, Asian American. Here in Detroit, Bangladeshi and Hmong residents have really rich histories, and they are particularly rooted in cities like Hamtramck, Centerline, and Warren. And in Warren each year, the Bangladeshi American Festival attracts thousands of people from all across the country. This year, however, was a little different. That's because the festival was initially canceled after the organizers, the Bangladeshi Association of Michigan, said they received a statement from the Parks and Rec Department that the festival was, quote, too ethnic to celebrate in the city's main square, according to reporting from the Metro Times. Imagine That phrase being uttered in 2023 in Southeast Michigan, that something, anything, is too ethnic. 
More news has developed since that time. The festival was moved to this upcoming weekend, and the city council has approved an anti-discrimination ordinance. More recently, both the event's organizers and Warren Mayor Jim Fouts described the incident as a misunderstanding. But in this discussion, we want to go beyond the controversies and the Bangladeshi American Festival itself and discuss the histories of Asian Americans here in Southeast Michigan, and particularly how Bangladeshi and Hmong cultural practices have been influenced by the city of Detroit and how they have influenced us here in Detroit and the region. To explore this, we've got two great guests with us. Nargis Rahman is a reporter for WDET. She herself is also Bangladeshi. She lives in Warren and has documented the oral histories of Detroit's Bangladeshi community. Nargis, welcome to the studio. Great to be here, Stephen. Also with us is Dr. Melissa Borja. She is an assistant professor at the University of Michigan in the American Studies and APIA Studies Department. She conducts research on Hmong communities and the policies that govern them. Dr. Borja, welcome to the welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Thanks for inviting me to be part of this conversation. Sure. So, Nargis, let's start with you. Uh, let's talk about that term, Asian. American. What do you make of that term and I guess how it relates to how you think of yourself? I, I, I find it really interesting, in fact, that we use that term to describe so many people of different origins and experiences. But I'm, I'm curious about for you how that falls on your ears. You know, I think it's a really interesting dynamic because when I was in school, I remember that usually when you fill out forms, there's only an option to pick from certain categories. And so the closest that I would relate to is Asian. But I'd always be like, well, you know, my ancestors are probably like rolling in their graves right now and (laughs) saying like, no, you're not. You're Bangladeshis. And don't forget that because there's a long history of our people fighting for our culture and our language even. So um, you know, in many ways, we are not politically always aligned with the Asian American. And, and that's like you said, Stephen, it's not the way people see us. But in some ways today in 2023, there are some goals and things that we do have in common with the Asian American community. And we're finding ourselves more and more politically aligned or reach or crossing across, uh, reaching across the aisle rather and coming together and saying, how are we similar if we are and where can we meet at those crossroads? Yeah. Um, So much has changed here in Southeast Michigan throughout my life in terms of the growth of different kinds of communities. Communities that were very small when I was young are now huge here in in uh, Detroit and Southeast Michigan. I think of Hamtramck as kind of ground zero for an example of that. That was a mostly Polish community for a long time. And that was how I remember it from when I was a kid. I actually went to preschool uh, in, in Hamtramck. Uh, now it's it's a community that, that looks very different. I, I, I also wonder from your seat, Nargis, uh, how how all of that change looks and feels here in in Detroit and and in the region. Well, I'll tell you that you know my family moved to Hamtramck in 2000. It was right at the crux of when a lot of families were moving from New York, actually, and so we call that the second wave migration. And so to give you some context, a lot of Bangladeshi families were moving to the U.S. in the early 1900s, usually single men. They would come here and work and then send money back home to support their families. Eventually, they'd go back and get married and then bring their families over. Um, A lot of people then came in the 1990s and the 2000s, mostly because after the 1965 civil rights era, there was um, immigration laws that expanded space for South Asians to come into the U.S., and people had something called like the diversity visa, or if one family member was able to come here, like, for example, my grandfather, my uh, my maternal grandfather, rather, he was able to come here and then apply for my mom. And then I came through her and et cetera. And then my dad was then part of the group that applied for his siblings. And they came in the late, you know, early 2000s, 2010s. So they kind of settled in over time. So now Southeast Asians are coming at exponential numbers to areas like Hamtramck and Detroit, where in the beginning they used to come straight to New York and settle in and then kind of spread throughout U.S. cities once they were able to financially move out and, you know, get more space. 
And now, like you said, Stephen, Hamtramck is one of those very attractive <laughs> places to be what I call like a starter family <laughs> space, you know, and for immigrants specifically because you don't have to know English, you don't have to drive, you can go walk to grab your groceries, you can have ethnic uh, or culturally specific groceries even just walking down the street. So you can really raise your family without having to do a lot of assimilation, whereas parents like my parents had to when they first came to the U.S., because there's a huge learning growth, um, learning curve. And uh, when people were coming, when I saw my own relatives coming in the 2000s, they were working, bought a house within two, three years, were able to purchase a vehicle. And in many times, they were also able to move out into cities like Warren in the suburbs much quicker than people who had to learn the ropes uh, the hard way, the long way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Bora, I want to bring you into the conversation here and talk to you about that same question. Uh, do you feel that the communities you research are often represented or well represented by this term, Asian America? And, and from your scholarship, what does that identity, I guess, mean to you? What is Asian American? And does it fully kind of describe uh, the, the, the various communities that we're talking about? This is such an important question, and I'm glad that we are beginning this conversation with understanding what Asian American means. So the term Asian American actually has its origins in the late 1960s, when Asian people of Asian descent were inspired by civil rights activists and black power activists and said, we are going to be more powerful if we build a coalition across ethnic groups and create a category called Asian American around which we can organize. So previously we saw Japanese Americans and Filipino Americans and Chinese Americans organizing on their own. The late 1960s was when we begin to see Asian American as a political category really take off as a coalitional category. It's complicated because there are, as you said earlier, so many different groups of people in this category of Asian American, so many different languages, so many different um, countries of origin, so many different religions, so many different levels of poverty, socioeconomic privilege. So this is a very complicated coalition to keep together because there are so many different interests, so many different histories and so many needs in the current moment. I mean, you know, we have that problem not just with Asian American and that term, but of course lots of other things that that we say or terms we use to describe people. I wonder, Dr. Borja, if you've given much thought to how we might do that differently, how we might come up with, with ways to uh, to describe people and their backgrounds that doesn't reduce them to uh, a, a broad a broad category African Americans of course I think would have uh, somewhat similar uh, uh, descriptions of, of feeling feeling uh, lumped together that way certainly Latinos uh, uh, Latino Americans would could, could say the same thing what what's the way I guess that we walk away from that and towards something that feels better and maybe more inclusive I think one thing that we've seen in recent years is a push to disaggregate data. So instead of using a big category like Asian American, we're paying attention to how people identify in terms of ethnicity. Um, we know, for example, that Southeast Asian Americans have different histories coming to the U.S. than East Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of Southeast Asian Americans are here in the U.S. because of the wars that were fought in Southeast Asia, and they came to the U.S. as refugees. And they have a very different trajectory as a result of that history. So if we take time to disaggregate the data and say, okay, we're going to see if there are Hmong Americans at our university um, and there are Chinese Americans at our university, and we're going to pay attention to those distinctions, I think that is one way forward. 
But I also want to call attention to one challenge associated with being Asian American, which is the association of Asian Americans uh, with high levels of education, mm -hmm. socioeconomic status, and privilege. And this is often described as the model minority stereotype. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that we really need to do is push back against that stereotype. I can go on about this <laughs> later if you want to learn more. But one thing that is very harmful about that stereotype is it obscures a lot of of very different um, experiences within the community. Um, the model minority stereotype assumes that all Asian Americans have college degrees, are doing well um, in terms of wealth and income, but the reality is there are very high rates of poverty among some ethnic groups in the US. It is related to their history as refugees, for example. Um, and so, I think one thing we can do is disaggregate data and push back against that uh, model minority myth that obscures a lot of suffering within um, the Asian American category. Uh, I'm talking with Nargis Rahman, who is a reporter here at WDET. She has also documented oral histories of Detroit's Bangladeshi community. We're talking about uh, the idea of Asian Americans and the change in uh, ethnic backgrounds of the people here in Southeast Michigan, the growth of the Asian American community, the change of uh, that community, the way it's changed Southeast Michigan. Also with us is Dr. Melissa Borja. She's an assistant professor at the University of Michigan in the American Studies and APIA Studies Department. She conducts research on Hmong communities and the policies that govern them. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Are you Asian American or are you someone who comes from uh, that part of the world who maybe doesn't want to describe yourself as Asian American, would rather a more specific description uh, of your ethnicity uh, be used. Uh, what do you make of that term? What does it mean to you? What do you make of things like the model minority myth, which Dr. Borja just referred to, this idea that Asian Americans are stereotypically high academic achievers and wealthy. Of course, we know that lots of people don't fall into that category who are Asian American. Um, also, give us a sense if you are a Warren resident or someone who goes to the Bangladeshi festival in Warren. Have you been there in the past? What kinds of things do you like doing there? What do you think of the controversy this year over that festival, which seems to have been worked out, but I think is an inflection point for some of the questions that we're asking today about the way that our communities are changing and how people react to that change. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET uh, Twitter page, actually hashtag us on Twitter, and we can include you in the conversation uh, that way. <clears throat> Nargis, uh, I do want to talk about this controversy over the festival. Uh, the, the, the organizers and Mayor Jim Fouts say it was a misunderstanding, uh, but this idea of describing it as, quote, too ethnic, I think reminds us of the difficulty that we still have sometimes getting people uh, to understand uh, that, that this is a place that is changing and that uh, there are people here who want to celebrate their presence here, want to celebrate the cultures from where they're from. Uh, give us a sense of, of what happened there. Well, as far as my understanding, the festival's been happening for many years, so it seems like more of an administrative type of response rather than a response from the whole city in terms of not wanting to have Bangladeshis in the in the city or in the community. And Warren has really changed dynamically in the past couple of years. I would even say in the past decade, there's been thousands of people or hundreds of people rather moving into Warren. And um, there are there is a strong presence of Bangladeshis now. And something specific to look at is that this year, five people of Bangladeshi origin are running for city council. And that shows that, you know, not only are Bangladeshis living there, but it, and, uh, after 
opening businesses and purchasing homes. The next step is political representation. And that's something that people are really going for. So we're not shying away from asking for what we need. And something that we've seen changing over time is that first communities come here and then try to establish their basic necessities, right? Opening um, grocery stores and clothing stores and restaurants. And then the next thing is like this generation looking for ways to represent the needs of the community. And that might look like providing halal food in schools, for example, which Fitzgerald um, Fitzgerald Public Schools has already established and Warren Community Consolidated Schools is now slowly rolling out. And then next is looking at the people running for office and creating spaces that say, hey, you know, not only do we live here and we're welcome here, but we're part of this community and get used to that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue talking about the term Asian American, talking about the change in ethnic background in places here in Metro Detroit, the profound change, the growth of, uh, of different communities that you might describe as Asian American. Also want to get going on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number here. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we can include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. We've got two great guests right now. Nargis Rachman is a reporter for WDET, someone who's also documented oral histories of Detroit's Bangladeshi community. We have Dr. Melissa Bora with us as well. She's an assistant professor at the University of Michigan in the American Studies and APIA Studies Departments. She conducts research on Hmong communities and the policies that govern them. We are talking about uh, the Bangladeshi Festival in Warren that uh, is going to take place later this month, the 22nd and 23rd. A little bit of controversy this year over how that festival came together. Uh, But we're also talking more broadly about the experience of Asian Americans here in Southeast Michigan, uh, whether uh, people are comfortable being called Asian American, labeled as Asian American, whether that's too broad a label, whether that uh, diminishes the profound ethnic uh, diversity that we have among people who come from uh, those parts of the world here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, would love to hear from you as well on the phones and on social. Call and let us know if you live in Warren or uh, if you consider yourself Asian American. What do you make of the controversy over the Bangladeshi festival? What do you make over that term that uh, gets applied to a very broad swath of people. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Um, uh, Nargis, I want to talk a little about uh, the the maintenance of the history of Bangladeshi Americans in Detroit. You spoke uh, earlier a lot about the history of uh, Bangladeshi Americans coming here, uh, also Hmong uh, uh, Americans. And and are we preserving enough of that history? Or as communities change, are we losing a lot of it? That's a great question. And I think the first thing, the short answer is no, we're not preserving enough. And I would say that because growing up, I never saw stories of people like me. And I, whenever I did, living in Hamtramck specifically, I would always see negative stories of people like me, the poor Hamtramck uh, students or the, those poor Bangladeshis. And it was very detrimental to the way we saw ourselves growing up. And it also made you want to, you know, minimize that part of yourself. And now, as I'm getting older, I realize that there is so much rich history and culture that can be preserved and should be celebrated rather than saying, all these people should just assimilate and forget about their roots and where they come from. 
why not take the best of both and find ways to celebrate the intersectional identities? So one of the things that I did specifically about this is challenge myself to say, Mm. how can I be the change and put something forward? Because in our communities, we have a sense of you grow up, you go to school, try to get a better life, get an education and come back and build your community. You don't just leave and disappear. You have to contribute to that. So I participated in something called the South Asian American Digital Archive, and my project was specifically documenting 10 stories of Bangladeshi American women entrepreneurs. And that the reason I did that was whenever I did see positive stories about Bangladeshis, specifically in the Hamtramck, Detroit area, it was about the men who opened the grocery shops <laughs> and the restaurants. And yeah. I didn't see myself in those stories. And I'm really... I'm really glad that those stories were still covered, but I feel like there's a missed opportunity to document the women behind the scenes that are really supporting these businesses. Oftentimes they do also work and support the businesses, but you don't see them because they're not the public front-facing people. And then in the last decade or so, many small businesses have been opened by women who are still finding ways to take care of their families, hold on to their culture, learn, find niche businesses to hold on to tradition, whether that's cooking homemade meals Mm -hmm. and keeping the culture alive that way, or even providing things that are affordable to people in our community because they know that there's a need for that. So whether that's jewelry or event planning or, you know, customized cakes that incorporate Bangladeshi themes, they're really holding it down. And so I think it's something that needs to be documented into history so then 100 years later we have kids like who you know that were like me that can see themselves and say you know what women were part of building the history here and they weren't something that were just you know the back the backstory yeah. and people are more excited to talk about that because people don't think about themselves in terms of how to see themselves forward 100 years later mm. and so if we're not documenting these stories whether that's in the media or in oral histories then people will not have a um, sense of who we were and where we're going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And as the community moves, all communities here in Southeast Michigan, I think, have have journeys, really, right? Uh, They they come here and settle in one space and then move to many others. The, The move to places like Warren, which is, I think, fascinating for a number of reasons, makes it harder, I think, to, to preserve that history, right? Uh, as you get sort of more spread out, more distant from that initial uh, instance of being here, it, 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 gets more, it gets to be more difficult to make sure that you're preserving the things that are important. I think it's, uh, it's something that the Polish Americans also did, right? They mm-hmm. moved uh, into the suburbs once they kind of made it or they wanted better op- opportunities for their kids. And that's the same thing that Bangladeshis are doing. And I'll give you another reason that we're moving into Warren. It's because it's easy to drive local up to Quinder and Ryan, to be honest. <laughs> so you're still really connected to him trying to make Detroit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. You can drive down whenever you want and get your fix of, you know, all the Bangladeshi <laughs> treats. And then you can go home and close the doors and live your quiet suburban life if you want to. Yeah. But one of the th- ways that um, Bangladeshis are kind of changing Macomb County, which is kind of funny, is like they're just opening businesses and then people are then moving into those communities because they benefit from being in those neighborhoods. So sometimes we would see the opposite happening, people moving and then opening businesses. Um, But places like, you know, 10 Mile and Ryan, there's a a huge number of businesses just in that area. So populations are finding ways to grow faster because they've already kind of done that in Hamtramck and Detroit. So they know how to replicate that easily. And we don't mind driving a couple minutes, you know, back, back and forth. And then we have large communities in Troy, Rochester Hills, Sterling mm-hmm. Heights with people who are more like middle class families already live there. So it's kind of like bridging the gap, the economic uh, ladder, rather growing into communities that maybe are not used to seeing Bangladeshi families. But we are seeing that people are figuring it out as they go. So I used to say when we were younger, if you lived in Warren, you had to have your both your parents working. Probably the teenagers are also working. You had to have two drivers. That was kind of like the formula. <laughs> and now it's like you have to have at least one person with a high income salary and then maybe one car. You'll be all right. Yeah. Um, but there are but there are a lot of ways that, uh, you know, our generation is coming back and trying to slowly climb that socioeconomic ladder. And we're really still second gen, like first gen, second gen. And so sometimes we don't realize that these communities are still very new 
and growing. They're not, um, we're not fourth, fifth generation. So it's going to take time for us to be able to build our communities and see a lot of thriving. You know, uh, we're still kind of getting there in this generation. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take a, a quick call and then have uh, Melissa Borja of the University of Michigan respond to our caller, Richard in Rochester Hills. We're running out of time, but, uh, but quickly. I want to take a, a quick call and then have uh, Richard, are you there? Richard, you got to turn your you got to turn your radio down. Doctor um, uh, Borja, I, I, I'm going to try to uh, g- translate for 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 Richard what you were what he was trying to say. Uh, he's saying that Asian American is our way of trying to define people in a race. Uh, and I think the, 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 the concept of race and racism is something we haven't talked a whole lot about. Uh, but, but we've only got about a minute left, but I do want to give you a chance to, to, to address that. The reality is that Asian Americans have experienced a lot of discrimination on the basis of their race. Um, I think it's important to name that. They're distinctive from a lot of immigrant groups in that they were denied citizenship for a long time on the basis of their race. So um, that's an important context. I think that Asian Americans, the political coalition that constitutes Asian Americans arose because of a rejection of racism and white supremacy and imperialism. Um, So yes, I think the context of racism in the United States is one reason why so many different people, different backgrounds come together and describe themselves as Asian Americans. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Dr. Melissa Borja and Nargas Rockman. Really great to have both of you here to discuss all of this. And uh, thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, that is going to do it for us. Tune in tomorrow when we're going to re-air one of our favorite conversations about how we've changed the way we treat people with severe mental health issues in this country. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.